got something young in my bones. Make me want to shout hallelujah. And I want to sing. Sing along. Oh, sing along. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lift every voice and sing. Tell it in heaven. Rain with the heart. family, users, abroad, domestic. It's 2022. And we're right back here at the Black Jackson Estate. Put your hands together. Let me hear you clap wherever you are. I don't know where you are in the world, but you should be clapping because we're back another year. Season four. We're going to have to check in with the users to see how they feel. User one, are you there? What's up, everybody? User one here. I'm really excited to be in a brand spanking new year. It is so wonderful to still be here. I hope you guys are having a wonderful start to your new year and uh, expecting many more wonderful things to come in 2022. 2022 been treating you well this year. You had a birthday that wasn't the topic of national discussion. Did you enjoy that? Was it better than 2020? I enjoy enjoy every single birthday that I am alive and well and healthy. So I enjoyed my birthday uh, month. I'm so, you know, we're still technically inside of it, but the block, the block is the day before and the day after it. So it's the adjacent day. So you get a nice little bundle. Mm -hmm. It's called a birthday bundle. And so, Mm. yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed myself. Well, that's really good to hear. And if we haven't said it enough, on behalf of the Black Jackson Estate, we really appreciate all of your hard work, user one. And once again, happy birthday. Um, What are you drinking this evening? Water. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe this is a first for the Black Jackson Estate (laughs) podcast. User one is drinking water and only water for today's Mm -hmm. recording. Wow, powerful. Powerful. Now we are recording on King Holiday. Is this in tribute to Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? I got water goals, you know what I'm saying? Amen. Keep up the good work. We're gonna move on. User 1.5, are you there? Hello, hello, hello. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. How's the start of your year been? You know, it's been going well. I went to a Boys and Men concert last night. So that was exciting. Um, it's been a good good year so far, minus all the people that died. But, uh, you know, Betty, Bob, Sydney, we love you. Yeah, man. They said, fuck 2022. We're out of here. We've seen enough. And yeah. honestly, same. I've seen enough too, but here we are. We got to ask, what are you drinking for today's episode? I'm drinking coffee, iced coffee. And I might get a little bit of something later on, but it's it's pretty early. So, you know. Yeah, it depends on how long this thing takes. Yeah. This thing being the podcast. 
We'll see how it goes. I'm feeling good so far. <laughs> it's so good to hear from both of y'all. Listen, I am your humble, humble artiste user two coming to you live, currently drinking dirt bag ales, blood orange kolsch. Uh, this is distributed and made right in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Um, and I'm enjoying myself alongside some other libations that we won't mention on the podcast. It's a beautiful start to 2022. My birthday went off without a hitch as well. And the snow slash lack of snow for some of us was, you know, a nice little King holiday treat. Uh, we are recording on Martin Luther King Day, our Black History podcast. So we feeling uh, super pro-, pro Black on this lovely eat. Today's episode, Michael Jackson has influenced some of the biggest artists of a generation from Beyonce to BTS. His musical children can be seen across every genre of music today. But which artists, most notably black artists, left an indelible impression on that young man from Gary, Indiana? We're going to run through some of MJ's black musical influences, because if we don't tell you, y'all ain't going to Google it. Here you go. We're giving you a treat, something that we always do. Um, So we're really excited for today's podcast. We want to make sure we shout out this episode's sponsor, Alexander F. Morin from Spain. I tried to pronounce it like it was French, but it's probably not because you're from Spain, Alexander. So it could be Alexandre. could be Alexander. Um, But Alex... We appreciate you. Thank you so much for being a supporter of the podcast. And y'all, we can't keep going on without your support. You find yourself listening to the pod. Spare a dollar. Spare some change. Please donate to the podcast. www.paypal.me forward slash Blackjack Estate or hit us on the cash app. BLK Jack Estate. Every dollar, every dime goes to keeping the podcast online. And hey, the coins are coming out of our pockets. So, hey, give us a hand. Give us give us a hand, y'all. We love you. Uh, follow us on the socials. User one runs our tweets. You can find her at BLK Jack Estate. User 1.5 runs our Instagram. Also BLK Jack Estate. You can also find her personal Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Rena Latoya and me. The indefatigable user two, Ashley K. Blue is back on line. The powers that be can hold me. Yes, I was suspended over the summer of 2021, but I can't let I can't let her get away. I fought for that Twitter and she is back live and ready for Janet Jackson commentary. By the time this podcast comes out, Janet Jackson's documentary probably would have aired and we'll come back and share our thoughts on that now I think we've got a little bit of feedback from the social medias user 1.5 you're on that Instagram what are the folks saying over there um, on Mark Zuckerberg's second most popular website you know, our Instagram, if you don't follow us on Instagram, go ahead and stop what you're doing, open your Instagram app and type in BLK Jack Estate and go ahead and hit that follow button. I wanted to give a shout out to Sonia Hansen, 
who sent us um, an instant message or a direct message on Instagram. And she said, hey guys, I love listening to your podcast. You make me laugh so hard. But how do I listen to your 12 Days of Christmas if I can't listen live? Thank you so much, Sonia, for listening to us. Thank you so much for telling us how much you love our podcast. And we did give Sonia instructions for how to listen to our 12 Days of Christmas. But thank you all for listening to our 12 Days of Christmas episodes. It was 12 Days of Madness, 12 Days of Michael, and and 12 Days of Hell for us. But... We want to thank you guys for engaging and for listening and for the feedback that you gave us on those episodes. Listen, if you want us to talk about something, feel free to drop us a a DM, a message, anything like that on Instagram, on Twitter. We will be more than happy to talk about what you guys want to hear. And those 12 days at Christmas like to kill us. So um, we got everything in that you wonderful folks have been asking for. They did. We died a little bit. We died. We died. Yeah, a little we, bit. We lost a little bit of life, but we back like a thriller zombie. One more again. User one, um, that was your brainchild. Are you proud of the 12 days of Christmas? Do you look back and wonder how we got over? Is it your baby? Like, what do you think about? What do you think about I the 12 days? Hey, yeah, hallelujah. Listen, yes, it was, it was a lot. The conception came way before the execution, and therein lies the problem. Should have been a little shorter time between conception and execution. However, um, I'm glad we did it it gave people something they kind of look forward to and people were telling us that like, Oh my God, I can't wait for the rest of the the days to come out. So we're kind of locked in at that point. We couldn't cut and run, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm such a Capricorn. Hey, I'm going to get it done. It's going to happen. I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know, but we're going to make it happen. So it's like, you just committed at that point, but I'm glad we did it. We got to talk about some things that, of course, if you've listened to the 12 days, you know that we zeroed in on things we really couldn't put in a full two hour episode. But truth be told, there were a couple of topics we could have expanded on into much bigger territory. And then there were others that fit very neatly into a 20 or 30 segment spot like the LA gear shoe so check us out if you hadn't if you haven't already we talk about uh, Michael Jackson's foray into athletic wear we talk about um, our favorite <laughs> we talk about our favorite songs from the J5 Christmas album we talk about the ET storybook we hit on Michael's book of poems and short stories we talk about so many different things and so there's a little something for everybody so I'm really proud that we did get it done and that it, it hit the world on the days it was supposed to. So um, shout out to the users for uh, indulging my idea. And I think it's, I think it was a success and that I think we'll be doing it again this year coming up. And we'll be we'll have all our song. The song will be completely like written at that point, maybe. And we'll have, you know, we'll have it a little more neater. But it was uh, it was still a dash to the finish, but a lot of fun to kind of put together. Honey, and our goofy ass, this on the holiday break. So we blew our own holiday break on Michael Joseph Jackson. 
which Man. I don't know if his spirit is <laughs> as pleased with that. Like the Jehovah's Witness side is not pleased, and maybe like the holiday side is pleased. Listen, his ego the- side is pleased. Wherever he's at, the ego is <laughs> pleased because <laughs> there's nobody did like. And I'm not tooting our horn. I'm saying no other Michael Jackson content creators gave you those that gift, and it was really a gift. It was because we wanted to show our appreciation to. The people who are listening to our podcast, you guys are family to us. We've gotten to know a lot of you really well, especially if you engage on Twitter or we've just been able to meet you in real life and we keep in touch in like a a substantial way. So for us, it was really a gift. And but um, so don't nobody treat you better than the Black Jackson estate and somebody loves you baby it's us so whoa whoa I'm glad we did it you know it kind of it came out well I think I think it came out well if you're a first time listener or just happened to miss our 12 days of Christmas go ahead take some time peel back through those they're not all Christmas related so the content is pretty evergreen uh we just gave it to you during christmas because we just felt like being benevolent so enjoy that and we enjoy you so again if you love us if you hate us if you got questions or you want to send us some fan fiction some memes you want to give us show ideas please email us our inbox is wide open the black jackson estate at gmail.com again email us at the black jackson estate at gmail.com and let me say if you have already sent us some content that you want us to cover as far as topics or you have sent fanfics we are not ignoring it we are getting to it and incorporating it into episodes if you don't hear it immediately just know that it is being enveloped into subsequent episodes maybe not the one you're the next one you're listening to listen to after you send it to us so we are absolutely aware of everything and we appreciate people sharing with us because we learn stuff we just did not know or we start reading stuff that's actually really cool and uh that's what's up if you donate and you give us a topic i promise you we're gonna cover it um and so that's a a, an excellent way to ensure what you want us to talk about actually gets talked about the donations we if you sponsoring an episode $30 helps us cover the cost of producing and getting our episodes live and making sure they stay available. So if you drop us a donation and tie it into a request, we got you. 100%. We got y'all. Ally and secure. (laughs) Shout out to Issa Rae, my birthday twin. She a real. All right. My goodness. Do y'all, do y'all hear that? y'all hear that that's the news music coming in hot for 2022 first up happy new year Uh, we start off january in a pretty jovial mood and most immediately several people decided to peace out of planet earth one of them which was reported via michael jackson's official Twitter page, and that was the death of Sir Sidney Portier. User 1.5, I believe you caught the scoop of Michael Jackson's account uh, tweeting 
uh, right after the loss of Sidney Portier. Can you give us a little bit more information on what exactly went down and what they posted? Absolutely. So, you know, Sidney Poitier is one of the, I mean, legends, icons in Hollywood. Um, he was the first Black actor to receive an Academy Award for his role in film. And so the Michael Jackson official account on Instagram and Twitter posted something after his death earlier this month. They said, R.I.P. Sidney Poitier, Michael Jackson befriended and looked up to the iconic legend who blazed trails and shattered barriers for Michael and other Black entertainers who followed in his footsteps. Michael was inspired by Sidney's dignity and grace, his devotion to philanthropy and humanitarianism, as well as his commitment to justice and civil rights. Sidney Poitier left the world a better place and will be missed. And I just think, especially that last line applies to Michael as well, you know, leaving the world a better place than you found it. So we just want to say thank you, sir. Thank you, Sydney, for everything you've done. And I'm super proud that the Michael Jackson estate acknowledged him uh, on the day, not the day he passed. I think they posted it the day after, but thank you for that. And I think, I can't remember if it was user one or 1 1.5. One of y'all was the one that reminded me Michael consulted Mr. Portier for acting advice when he was pursuing the Wiz. Which one of y'all told me that? Well, we talked about this in, again, well, I'm going to plug our 12 days again. If you haven't listened, we cover on one day. I don't know which day it is. Uh, the supporting, but uh, not really supporting cast, the other A-listers in the cast of The Wiz and their their life and career. And that was one of the things that we talked about, I think, in there that Michael said he, or maybe it was on the Soul Train episode. Y'all just check out the 12 days. It's in there somewhere. Michael Jackson actually says, matter of fact, he says it on Soul Train. He says Sidney Portier helped him uh, with his acting skills, preparing for that role. So that was really cool for him to even take that time to help a, a youngin. Uh, who's trying to cross over into his world, the world he was already dominating. The more you know. I, you know, we talked about Sidney Poitier from um, the perspective of a raisin in the sun and um, how that's covered in U.S. Pub a lot of U.S. public schools, especially in, I don't know if it's covered in like the regular, regular classes, but I know once children get into more advanced studies in certain areas, they start to cover some of these things. That was one of the things that was covered in school when I was in school. Did you guys cover that as well, uh, A Raisin in the Sun? We did. I remember being, I think I was in the ninth grade, if I'm not mistaken. I remember reading the play by Lorraine Hansberry. Mm -hmm. um, I remember reading the play out loud in class every day like one kid was uh Sidney Poitier's character Walter um, Lee Walter younger Lee, yes mm -hmm. so one person was like Benita and one person was like and then we would just like read it out loud and it was and then we watched the movie with Sidney Poitier in it and it just really brought the play to life and it's still one of my favorites just from reading it in the ninth grade it is still one of my favorite plays to read and reread yeah, that film adaptation was just so good. I know when the day he died, we were texting in our group chat about that that movie and how authentic the character were characters were. They were real actors, but they were so authentic to the black experience and some of these concepts inside of that play are, are still prevalent and relevant today. 
black people just trying to get ahead and get a fair shake in this world and sometimes coming up with some very off the wall ideas of how to do that and advance yourself and Walter Lee Younger definitely had a couple of crazy ideas uh but the way Sydney Portier said mama throughout that um, mama <laughs> mama I'm a man mama <laughs> he, man he was so emotional in that in that uh depiction it was just very raw. And like, you know, y'all told y'all my favorite part was when she told her mama that there was no God, like there was no God. And in I just my heard, mother's house. <laughs> I just heard a thousand black grandmas and great grandmas collectively slap her at the point that she caught that backhand for saying there was no God. Uh, so it's- She a, earned you, that backhand though. She earned, she earned it. it. She Cause she needed to shut, when her mama said, no, that's just not necessary now. She knew then- it was time to wrap it up because you're going too far. Like that was the warning and she didn't wrap it up. Absolutely. So she, she was fairly warned. So she earned she was it. Warned. She earned that slap. But if you haven't seen a raisin, if you haven't, he's got many good movies. If you haven't seen his catalog, check it out. He definitely has the chops. He had the chops for sure. As if you needed us to tell you that. Rest in peace. Some of y'all do. That's why Some I'm telling you do. to go you listen know what? and watch. You, you know what user one? You is right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Friends, <laughs> users, go watch Lily's Other Field. So you know oh, that's a good yep. one. What's the one where he's on uh they escape from jail and uh from that chain gang? The Ooh, one with Tony Curtis one. in it. Um yeah, uh yeah. Uh I can't think of the name that's of that a good right one now. too. Guess who's coming to dinner? Guess of course, you gotta watch Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Yeah. Uh, um, in the heat of the night, listen. Oh, hey, I love me it. some. Yes, if I you appreciate have never him. watched mm-hmm. in the heat of the night when he said they call me Mr. Mr. Tibbs, Mr. Tibbs. Yeah, go watch it. Rest in peace, Mr. Portier. Our next item, we got a big kahuna here. This is our Moby Dick. Dun, dun, dun. We need some re- turn the news music up. Janet Jackson's documentary is set to hit listen by the time you hear this janet's live janet is out there you have seen it you have ingested it we're in the past okay we're in january you're somewhere in february all right janet's coming hot down the pike we'll be tuned in to the janet jackson podcast our dear friends over there who we are certain will have this topic covered but we'll absolutely be tuned in Ladies, again, we're in the past, so we're making a prediction here. What are you going to get out of the new Janet Jackson documentary? Just give us one thing you want to get out of it by the close of day two. User one, you can go first. Well, I I just want whatever she's giving, to be honest. I think that we don't deserve anything from this young lady And I think that she is doing this because she wants to, she needs to for her own reasons. And I think she's also honoring her fans and their steadfast commitment to her personally and her career. And so God bless Janet Jackson. Thank you for doing this because it's important to do. I'm I'm actually really glad she's doing it. User 1.5, one thing you want to take away from the Janet Jackson documentary on Lifetime? You know, this documentary is five years in the making, and from the teaser, 
that was dropped, the trailer that was dropped by Lifetime and by Janet earlier this month, it, it feels very raw. It feels very honest. And that's what I'm going to be watching it for because Janet, for the most part, has been super reserved, super quiet um, about herself. And so I'm just looking forward to her telling her truth and, and, and being honest in it and living in it and walking in it and putting it out there. Like Ayala would say, you know, put it out there, beloved. <laughs> so that's what I'm looking for. And like user one said, she doesn't owe us anything, but I'm so glad she's doing this. We love you, queen. We love you. I feel the same. Um, whatever we get, I'll take it. I am also very selfish in looking for footage of myself because part of me won't believe I was as close to Janet as I was if I don't ever see proof of it because it seemed like a fever dream. But yeah, um, five years of footage. There's going to be a lot of fans in that material. Janet had cameras at all the concerts. So you've got the Unbreakable Tour. You've got the State of the World Tours. So a lot of content that we'll be able to gather from uh, from her this this beautiful 2022. So looking forward to it. And again, y'all are in the future. So you'll get more from us on the next episode. Da, 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 All right, y'all. We've come to that part of the podcast where we check in on the percentage to goal raised by Taj Jackson for his fundraiser, The Truth Runs Marathons. As of January 2022, Taj is 31.3202% to goal with a total $243,602 raised out of his goal of $777,000. That's 6.7,000 individual donors who have given. We're looking forward to the podcast, hopefully in 2022. And we've reached the main event of today's podcast, Michael Jackson's Black Musical Influences. This is a Black History Month special. But honestly, if we keep it in a bug, this is this is our whole thing. We do this Black History 365. Am I right? That's how we live in. That's how we live in. I mean, so it's not really nothing new over here per se. But come on over, Blacks, Whites, Browns. And everyone in betwixt, come on over and learn a few things from the BJE. Today, we're going to talk about some folks who were uh, super uh, influential in the life and performance of Michael Joseph Jackson. And we're excited to dig into some excerpts that we found and some other materials to supplement that information. User 1.5, you're going to drive us through today's episode. Take it away. Let me jump in this driver's seat really quick. <laughs> Click it or ticket. That's right. Buckle up, Buttercups, because today we are going through the top seven Black musical influences for Michael Joseph Jackson. And as we all know, Michael Jackson has influenced other artists, many, many other artists. We call them his musical children. You can see them not only in their style of music in their lyrics, in their sound, but you see it in their dancing, that Michael Jackson really, really has inspired them. Um, but who inspired Michael Jackson? You guys have guesses? Jermaine. 
That's not a lie. Jermaine, Jermaine Jackie, let's get Tito. Serious. Yeah, these guys were definitely influenced him. There's so many people, and I just wanted to say before we get hot and heavy, because it does get hot and heavy, because these are some heavyweights that obviously you can't become Michael Jackson not be inspired by some really phenomenal in their own category sort of people but somebody might say well why are you guys covering just the black influences because Michael was influenced by so many artists and he talked about it and he did he was he drew influences from all types of music he was very keen on talking about his classical music uh love for classical music and how he liked to incorporate it into what he was doing he talked about so many different sorts of music and sounds that influenced his ultimate sound but black music is most important because a it's the community he's a part of and that he comes out of so it becomes the most immediate music that he can access just coming out of your mama before you come out of your mama you already got black music in your little being in her body because she's singing it and around it and your dad's playing it. And so it becomes this thing that is a part of who you are because it comes out of your roots. And so the influences he grabs from black America, he then distributes to the world, to people who otherwise have no idea what it is to be black in America. And that is so significant to his story and so we're covering it and those artists in a way that gives more shape and form to how they influenced who he became and how he impacted literally the world over with the base coming from black america and i can hear the critics saying oh but katherine jackson sang country music yes she did we all do okay i love some country now okay i even like Shania Twain's Republican ass but but uh, do you think (laughs) (laughs) hey baby I feel like a woman use a one I need you to hit that one more time because that was good listen you got to respect the art not the artist allegedly but if you think that Catherine and Joseph Jackson met at a sock hop where they were playing country music. And that's how they decided they was going to slow dance their way into them nine babies. Think again. Think again. We're getting into the tunes that were surrounding everyone in Black America at that time. User 1.5. Let's go. Very well said, users. Very well said. And and I would like to add on to that. Last night, like I said earlier in the show, went to a Boys to Men concert. And Boys to Men actually took a minute out to talk about how even as four Black kids, there's three of them now, but originally four Black kids from the inner city of Philadelphia, mainly listening to R&B music and growing up around that, how they were also influenced by pop music and country music and white music. And one thing Sean Stockman said, that is so, so true for many artists who are musicians um, and not just artists. It it is, good music is good music. But today we're gonna talk about the black musicians because I don't think that all of these people get enough credit and enough due. And the fact that Michael Jackson um, credited them with influencing his style says a lot about who they were as musicians. So let's jump in users. In Michael Jackson's autobiography, Moonwalk, he talks about 
these influences uh, in his music and in the music of the Jackson 5. So I believe user two is going to put on her best Michael Jackson voice and read a couple of these excerpts so that you guys can see where we're coming from before we jump into these great artists. This is Ashley as Michael Jackson. While my brothers and I were paying dues on the so-called chitlin circuit, opening for other acts, I carefully watched all the stars because I wanted to learn as much as I could. I stared at their feet, the way they held their arms, the way they gripped a microphone, trying to decipher what they were doing and why they were doing. Michael continues, that was my education and my recreation. I was always backstage when I had free time. I was so absorbed in what I was seeing or in remembering what I had just seen that I didn't care. You couldn't teach a person what I've learned just standing and watching. Some musicians may feel they got their education from the streets. I'm a performer at heart. I got mine from stage. All right, fam. So we are going to jump into Michael Jackson's biggest Black musical influences. And the first one is a man that we all know. No list would be complete without this man because if we didn't include him, y'all would say we was lying. And that is the godfather of soul, Mr. Dynamite himself, soul brother number one, James Joseph Brown. After studying James Brown from the wings, I knew every step, every grunt, every spin and turn, his whole physical presence, the fire coming out of his pores would be phenomenal. I've never seen anybody perform like him. Unbelievable, really. James Brown was born May 3rd, 1933 in Barnwell, South Carolina, and he passed away December 25th, 2006. He was an American singer, dancer, musician, record producer, and band leader. His career spanned over 50 years, and he influenced the development of several musical genres, including funk and rock and roll. He was one of the first 10 inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1986. And he began his career at the Lenox Theater in Augusta in 1944. So users, I know we have a lot of information on James Brown. Everybody knows James Brown is credited as being probably the biggest influence on Michael Jackson's career. What do you guys think about James Brown and Michael Jackson's relationship. Beautiful, wholesome. I also, strategic. Strategic, um, <laughs> that's a good word. <laughs> <laughs> Very strategic. Baby Michael took so much from James Brown and Jackie Wilson, who we'll later discuss. It's impossible to ignore. That, Michael throwing his head back for the first five years to his performance life um, after the Ed Sullivan show, he was little James Brown and James Brown knew he was little James Brown. It wasn't even no beef. He was just like, Hey man, that little nigga got it. Couldn't nobody deny. It. Um, but I, I love that they had a relationship that, um, allowed Michael to actually go and see his hero after he had passed away and spend that personal time. Like Michael creating the space to actually go and view James Brown's body and attend the funeral. I, <laughs> I posted a clip of Michael <laughs> clapping the oh happy day at that funeral. He was just on another level. It was like his daddy had died and he was at peace with it. 
but their relationship is so pure. I think about little Michael, how much he took from J- James Brown. I think about Michael versus Prince that night on the stage where Michael almost knew Prince was high off of his ass and wanted to expose him in front of James Brown and God and everybody else. And then I think about um, how James Brown was used strategically when Michael and MC Hammer had their little beef going on. That was a good time in the 90s. Um, and then that that BET moment that we remember so well because that was, you know, the, the peak of our involvement with Michael um, in the early 2000s. So lots of beautiful moments to think about between those two. Absolutely. And you know, the, the the cool thing about James Brown in his career, he started off as like this soul R&B. He, you could tell that he grew up in the church or started singing in the church, right? Because he gives you that gospel flavor, the call and response that he does in a lot of his songs. It is a purely Black experience. If you've never been to a Black church, then you have no idea what we're talking about. If you grew up in a Black church, you 100% know what I'm talking about. But James Brown, you could tell that Michael even pulled that part of James Brown's show into his own you know, style when you know Michael and Bad did the call and response at the end of the video. You know what I mean? He did that in uh, the Smooth Criminal video, the call and response, where you know, people were mimicking what he had just sung or what he had just done. So a lot of the little things that James Brown did really come together in Michael's music. Not only that, but James Brown was in social activism and he was a he played a pivotal part in Boston not being literally damn near burned to the ground in 1968 when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. He gave a free concert in Boston and he was credited with keeping peace in the city of Boston after MLK Jr. was was assassinated. User one, what do you think about James Brown, his music, his legacy, and his influence on Michael Jackson? Well, James Brown is was a force. Like his presence just was a force. Like he didn't even have to be singing; just him talking to people was <laughs> an experience, right? Like even <laughs> that was entertaining. He just was a force, and I think that he did. Not only his 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 influence on Michael came out in the most obvious ways. I think in the dance steps, you can see James Brown all over Michael Jackson's footwork. Obviously, the grunts and some of those uh, other things are an, uh, a culmination of James Brown and other influences that come out in Michael's voices. But even some of that short, sort of staccato, sort of you know parts of Michael's signature sound are directly linked to James Brown. So it's there. It's obviously there. And it's like James Brown said of Michael, he, he watched what I was doing and then took it, but made it his own. He took it to a new place. So, but even in that, you can't talk about Michael Jackson and not talk about James Brown. What I, I think admire most about James Brown, he's got so many hits. You've ever seen the videos of him live He's just phenomenal. But what I like most about James Brown is how he used his platform, which Michael also did, but just in a different way to then advance things he cared truly about. And that for James Brown was the black community, really advancing the black community. And um, James Brown even talked about at one point his activism, his his activism inside of civil rights uh, user 
1.5 talked a little bit about it, how he was, as this is Martin Luther King Day, the day after Martin Luther King died, how instrumental he was to keeping peace by using his instrument, his gift, his voice and his dance and his, um, his, uh, his music. James Brown, um, he talked about at one point in his career, how he almost, white people didn't get Say It Loud. And that was like a, an anthem. And it was an anthem of pride. But of course, when you're racist, you're going to take something that Black people are doing to show uh, pride in self and pride of community and turn it into something um, it's not. And that's what a lot of people did. And he said, because they didn't get it, it almost killed his ability to become this big crossover success in his, in his life and time because he then became a target. Although all he was saying, I mean, Say It Loud had a chorus of children behind it saying, I'm black and I'm proud. But that was so offensive to the establishment. And in America, that establishment was very, very racist in the powers that be politically, economically, socially. So I think one of the most important things James Brown did was use the powers of his gift for social change. He did it in a time that was much scarier than Michael, if we're being honest, right? And he did it with no one to really look to as an example of how to do this. He just did it because he was like, I need to do it. And I'm going to use my my gift to do it. And I think that's one of the, the enduring things about James Brown that's so important to me, even aside from just his music, is how he then used it uh, to be an agent of change in his community and the country. You, you know, James Brown really, in his autobiography, talked about what user, what user one was just talking about. And he talked about how he lost that crossover audience because of that song. Uh, it, it almost reminds me, that song reminds me of another uh, Nina Simone singing Young gifted and black you know it, it's one of those songs where if you don't um if you don't want to understand then you could easily call it militant or yeah angry. you're gonna take it someplace and let me add this other wrinkle i said there was no one else to kind of look to the closest thing i can think of is like a billy holiday with strange fruit Mm-hmm. And how that song, I mean, they wouldn't even play it, you know, and what it did to her career and how it was. And it was just simply her putting a mirror up in song of what was happening in the American South. James Brown was just putting a mirror up in front of the Black community and himself and saying, we are proud people. And, um, you know, there was blow. <laughs> if you don't, un- if you're not American, even if you're American, simply Americans don't understand. We're still all trying to understand racism in America it's the weirdest thing but you can't talk about it if you're black you can't say you're proud to be black if you're black I just you know you can't do nothing inside of that system it just doesn't work out so people who decide to say actually I'm gonna do what I want to do which James Brown was good on saying I'm gonna do what I want to do James Brown gonna do what James Brown want to do it came with a price, but it, it also cemented him as this like giant in music because that's to me where you become an artist when you use what you do to help somebody else and to be a change in the world. Otherwise, you're just an entertainer and that's cool. But to me, your art art goes beyond simply entertainment. He was definitely an artist. User uh, two, you wanted to say something about Brother James. I was just going to ask y'all a quick question based off of something 1.5 said about what Michael pulled from James Brown. And I wonder if Michael got his uh, somewhat church influence 
from James Brown because Michael didn't go to a traditional Black American church. He went to Kingdom Hall, which is a lot more rigid. Their choirs are not the same as any typical Black American church, regardless of the denomination, whether it's Baptist or Methodist, Amy Zion, uh, Kojic, whomever. Jehovah's Witnesses have a very different worship experience. And I'm wondering if Michael's more gospel-tinged vocals are pulling from James Brown's gospel experience because, you know, it's almost like uh, by osmosis because James Brown was in a gospel group and then turned into a more pop, rock and roll, soul group. He all see um, Brother James singing, singing in somebody's church. He did, though. Oh, yeah, Brother he did. Burns. Yeah, I could definitely see That's that. That's how yeah. he met Bobby Bird. Bobby Bird. Yeah, Bobby, remember. Mr. Bird. Yeah, remember how he met Mr. Bird. Mr. Bird. Now, Mr. Bird, he ended up, James Brown was in jail for stealing a suit. He was serving a prison sentence, and his way out on parole, you know, you got to uh, say you have a place to go. James Brown did not have a family. His mother abandoned him. Um, and I think his father eventually did too, or he ran away. Can't remember how that went. But James Brown did not have two active parents in his life as uh, a tween and a teenager. So he grew up in prison off and on. So the way he got out of prison was by saying, I'm going to stay at Bobby Bird's house. Bobby Bird, whose parents were in the church, um, he sang in the church and he had a gospel quartet. Or, or might have been a quintet. I'm not sure. But anyway, James Brown joins this gospel group they gain all this traction and then they start deciding to sing secular music very similar to sam cook except sam cook had a whole gospel career and then spun out of it but james brown on the chitlin circuit began as a gospel singer and then switched over so i'm wondering if michael got that gospel influence of course from the other artists that we're going to talk about today but from james brown particularly if he kind of got that through proximity studying james brown that makes sense um it really does and you you could hear james brown and you know i'm just saying imagine james brown in church like walking into a church and have seen haven't seen but obviously he wasn't the james brown we know that you know then but his first number one hit single was try me and if you guys don't know that song i might just insert it here but if either one of y'all want to want to sing it for the the listeners try me (laughs) Try me. I forget the word. But it's a very gospel let your sound. <laughs> it's a very gospel sounding song, right? It probably you, is a gospel song. They right, they, 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 they flipped it around. You know, the, what were they? The fam- uh the flaming James flames. Brown and what the, was the name of the flames. Group? Famous Flames. So it's it's that was his first single. That was back in the nineteen um, the nineteen fifties when Michael was coming up, right? So I'm sure he did internalize those gospel sounds as he was growing up, even though he didn't go to you know a black church or to a, a traditional like Baptist or Pentecostal or AME church, because that's what he heard. And we and we know as we talked about in one of our other episodes, we know for sure that. Joe Jackson was at that Live at the Apollo uh, recording. So we knew that Joe was a fan of the famous Flames and Sir, Sir James. So I could definitely see that. Absolutely. And it's worth noting that Black music is not discreetly put into different boxes. Like R&B meshes with gospel, gospel meshes with R&B, which meshes with blues, rock and roll. 
jazz, all these other sounds of Black America, they all roll together. So it's, it becomes hard to even pick out like, where'd you get something from? Because it's all intertwined there together. So right. He got it, he got he got it from all sides like you know because the the folks coming out of the church were the R&B singers that you were hearing on the radio a lot of times and or they were coming out of blues or they were coming out of this or that or the third um, Al Green being a very famous example and we recently me and user 1.5 recently watched a documentary about him flipping back and forth the reason people could could get down with the R&B acts was because they had already heard him before on Sunday morning you know at some point so it was just a, a, it was just, it was, it's hard to, to, it's like when you make a cake, it, it, by the time you get done, you can't take the ingredients out. They're all a part of the, the one cake, the one thing. So I think that was, it's hard to kind of pick where he got stuff from, especially when it comes out of black America, because all of it sort of rolled into this big bowl. Absolutely. We all know James Brown is probably the biggest influence in Michael Jackson's career. I'm going to link for the, for the listeners, um, the 1980, I believe it was performance that James Brown had where Michael, he called Michael up on stage and he called Prince up eventually on stage, but Michael did a little dance and James just was so proud. You could tell how proud he was of Michael and it's, it's a really great clip. If you haven't seen it, look for it in the show notes. I'm going to link it for you guys. Moving on to Michael Jackson's greatest Black musical influences. Number two on our list is, they called him the Black Elvis, honey, aka Mr. Excitement, Mr. Jackie Leroy Wilson Jr., aka Jackie Wilson. When I watch somebody I like, I'd be there. James Brown, Jackie Wilson, Sam and Dave, the OJs, they all used to really work in audience. I might have learned more from watching Jackie Wilson than anyone or anything else. Jackie Wilson was born June 9th, 1934 in Highland Park, Michigan. He passed away on January 21st, 1984, and he was an American soul and rock and roll singer and performer. He had a four octave range y'all and he was one of the pivotal figures in the transition from r&b rhythm and blues into soul music jackie wilson was considered a master showman which is why he got the name mr excitement and fun fact one of his best friends was the late i don't want to say great elvis presley so then there's that lisa link in there again but we can't anyway. keep doing Elvis dirty like that. I mean, listen, he wasn't great, but he was all right. I said the late, I don't want to say great. That's the yeah, same thing. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. I don't care. I, I'm not going to defend Elvis. I'm about to say you capping <laughs> for Elvis? Really? Oh. Yeah, no, not for Black History Month. I'm not going to. No, gonna never. Uh-uh. Never. Uh-uh. Jackie Wilson, some of his most famous songs are Lonely Teardrops. Your love keeps taking me higher and higher. That's why I love you so. I'll be, be satisfied. Mm-hmm. To be loved. Yes. So, I mean, Jackie Wilson has some hits, y'all. If y'all don't know Jackie Wilson, first of all, he's a very distinct voice. So, as soon as you hear him on the track, you know it's Jackie Wilson. But another really good tidbit that I found out in researching Jackie Wilson in his career is that um, Barry Gordy. And his sister actually produced and wrote a lot of the singles for Jackie Wilson when he first um, got into the R&B 
soul game. Um, to be loved is one of them. I'm wandering. That's why I love you so. I'll be satisfied. And Lonely Teardrops were all written by Barry Gordy Jr., his sister uh, Gwendolyn, and Ro- Roquel Billy Davis. So that's a really cool Motown link. This is before Barry went to, to Detroit to form his own company, aka Motown. So I thought that was really cool. What do you guys think about Jackie Wilson? Jackie Wilson was a huge figure on and off the stage. He really only had about a 10 year span, 10 to 15 year span of actually performing before he had a famously had a heart attack on stage in the middle of performing Lonely Teardrops um, and was no longer able to perform after that. What do you guys think about Jackie Wilson? Have you guys seen him, seen some of the the videos of his performances? Yeah, he, uh, wild performances. The way he would go into a split and hop into another one. I think that spin around and drop to the knees, isn't that where Michael got it from, from Jackie Wilson? I believe so. And also something with the microphone. There was a trick Jackie Wilson did. And I know he got the hee hee from Jackie Jackie Wilson too. So y'all did he really? I didn't know that. He did. He got that from, from Mr. Excitement. So, I mean, Michael showing up all through Jackie's uh, performances. Um, I'm sorry, Jackie showing up all through Michael's performances, which is really cool to see. Um, what's y'all's favorite Jackie Wilson song? Probably mm. Lonely Teardrops. That's the one Barry Gordy wrote, right? Yes, Barry mm-hmm. and Gwendolyn and Billy. Man, talk I'm about a, a fucking bopper. Right. <laughs> really I'm, hit I'm it a out of the park with that one. He's got like, he's got like five or six really good songs. I really like Baby Workout. Um, mm, baby Workout. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, To Be Loved. Every time I hear that song, now I think about. Um, oh, I can feel those vibrations. Vibrations, I guess it's called vibrations. I like vibrations. I can feel those vibrations. Eddie Murphy singing the fuck out of some Jackie Wilson. <laughs> he loved Jackie Wilson. <laughs> Killing and, it, man. And Jackie Wilson was uh, a reported ladies' man. So I mean, the ladies loved him too. He was light, bright, with slick back hair. Yeah, I mean, and, he was um, back in the day. Now, by the time we get. By the time we get to like the seventies, it's it's a little bit of a drag, you know what I'm saying? But because somebody wasn't doing his hair, or he wasn't. Something was going on with the hair. But... Jackie was his face was living rough. I'm gonna keep it a buck. Like, was he on drugs? I know we supposed to keep it a music, but I need to know. He was on something. Well, it, he... it was a, it was alcoholism. That was his thing. Oh yeah, you well, gotta relax. He also took um. So it was. <laughs> He admitted to this and Elvis did too, because him and Elvis are really good friends. They both admitted to taking like handful, like a handful of pills and then drinking like a lot of water before they went on stage. And their immediate reaction from the body was to try and purge, right? So they would sweat more when they did that. And I don't know what pills they were. Clearly they want placebos. So he was taking pills, but I don't know what they were specifically. We know Elvis was into Quaaludes. So I'm that Jackie one. could have been too. And based off of other accusations of his behavior, Quaaludes would then make sense. But if I just dropped a picture in the chat, y'all. I'm starting to think Elvis's lip thing. <laughs> Man, when he was lit, I know that thing was out of control. Man, y'all, y'all seen Jackie Wilson's son do look just like him. Yeah. He looks he just like him. I mean, like, spit him out. Like, can't never say that ain't yours. That one's yours for sure. 
Yeah, it, it, so when we talk about, the, which is kind of a thread in all, a lot of these artists that are influential to Michael and uh, and also become something Michael deals with, this this dependency on some sort of substance um, and substance abuse or misuse uh, is very prevalent in a lot of these entertainers. And Michael even talked about it in, in his book as well about not wanting to travel that path. Um, but the, the pressures of stardom and being, a megastar, you know, are enormous. And these folks really gave up a lot to bless us with their talent. Um, and they went through a lot and it showed up. And, you know, I'll, I'll say this, I'm, I'm going to say this about Jackie Wilson. I'm also going to say it about James Brown. I'm going to say it about Michael Jackson. It showed up in the performances. At some point we could see that, that there was a problem, right? Yeah. That's just a fact. You don't have to, don't at me with no crazy stuff. Some of y'all like to at me on Twitter because you don't like that we say things you don't agree with. Just stop the podcast. Y'all don't know she, she <laughs> like to fight. <laughs> y'all know she like to fight. Stop. You don't even have to keep going, but I don't think That's it's, true. it's not honest to us and it's not honest to Michael's legacy to sugarcoat things. And I think this was one of the things with that, unfortunately, that thread continued itself with the audiences looking at someone who we've seen in their highest of heights. And now we know something's not right because there's something going on, right? Like we just said this about Jackie Wilson, like by the seventies, we're like, what's happening, Jackie? And we're not talking about just age. We're talking about what's happening. Like what has happened? James Brown had a moment like that. James Brown got himself together, right? James Brown had a few. For the most like part, that. yeah. But James Brown definitely had some things, and the the same is true of Michael. There came a point where, looking at him on stage, there were questions about what was happening. I think the 30th anniversary might have been a good example of when we got there. But there was so much pressure on these artists, and they, I'm sure, they just internalized it in a way that sometimes was very self destructive. Jackie Wilson. So user two, you said it was alcoholism. That was that the drug of choice, or were there other drugs additionally that he that he struggled with in his lifetime? Um, I've only heard about his alcoholism, and I wouldn't be surprised about the other substances. But clearly, he was taking substances with Elvis, so some types of pills. But yeah, the, the alcoholism was pretty well noted by everybody. And that's that's really the thing that Patty LaBelle talked about, um, that he smelled like booze. So not great. Yeah, not a good thing. But yeah, an amazing talent wrapped up in those just that they all were fighting their demons while also giving the world something no one else had ever given them. Um, Jackie Wilson, James Brown. Um, a couple of other, I don't know who else is on the list, but um, we didn't put, because he's not really an influence of Michael Jackson, but he, his, Michael Jackson's model at Motown, the Jackson 5 coming out was modeled after Frankie Lyman. We know that Barry Gordy mm-hmm. said that. He also dealt very heavily with stardom at a young age and the excesses that came from that and his own um, substance abuse. So it's, it's just, it's so prevalent, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. It's so prevalent and we see it show up in these instances with these very phenomenal entertainers who sometimes are using this stuff to stay get to stay going. Like right. I got 10 shows. Yeah. I got it. I'm doing this because this helps me stay up and helps me make my shows or whatever the case may be. Yeah, absolutely. And Jack.
unfortunately was not uh, exempt from that. Jackie Wilson um, passed away when he was only 49 years old. He actually had the heart attack on stage though when he was in his mid thirties, um, which is, is, is really tragic, but he was posthumously inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1987. He has also been inducted into the National Rhythm and Blues Hall of Fame. And he, like James Brown that we just talked about, began singing in church. And his mother was the choir director. So he was, he was another product of, of the Black church um, who moved over into soul and R&B. And I just want to read this um, little excerpt about his shows. So Jackie Wilson's powerful, electrifying live performances rarely failed to bring audiences to a state of frenzy. His live performances consisted of knee drops, splits, spins, backflips, one-footed across the floor slides, removing his tie and jacket and throwing them off stage, basic boxing steps like advance and retreat shuffling. And one of his favorite routines was getting some of the less attractive women in the audience to come up to the stage and kiss him. Jackie often said, if I can get the ugliest, oh, this is the quote now, y'all, don't at me. If I can get the ugliest girl in the audience to come up and kiss me, they'll think they can have me and keep coming back to buy my records, end quote. So Jackie was, they called him Mr. Excitement for a reason. And this Negro was doing spins, backflips, one-footed shuffles across the, listen, minus the backflips, that's Michael right there. Knee drops, splits. I don't think Michael did no splits neither, but. No, nah, Michael ain't do no splits like that. Yeah, no, Jackie Wilson, I mean, that's smart. It's called marketing, knowing your market. You know, he was like, listen, they, they, I'm gonna give these ladies some hope, you know, and they're gonna, and hopefully they'll go buy my record. And <laughs> you know <laughs> it was it was a crude thing to do but he was just letting you know how he how he ran his business you know he would grab the girls that michael did not do that michael was like um her. michael has security escort them off stage promptly well, too, first of all he, he had security done. bring them to him so he could dance <laughs> with them so i believe he picked i think he was like yeah the girl and that one right there the row and e row e4 e4 the fourth seat her yeah bring her up here so you know jackie wilson just had a different method he was like bring me shanene and i will <laughs> Not work this out. just bring me the ugliest woman you can find the woman with a mustache um shout out to all ladies who support their mustache well no. um it's not a lot of them trust me no. mostly, mostly it's not a good thing um but at any rate uh yeah jackie wilson was he was a he was you know he like you said mr excitement just a phenomenal um, entertainer. He he. A lot of people drew influence on him. I can see a lot of Bruno Mars um, grabbing a lot of Jackie Wilson. I don't know if he ever talks about yeah. Jackie, but I can see that. I see well. James Brown and Jackie and Bruno Mars. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially that duop and hooligans phase that mm-hmm. he was in. Mm-hmm. So Michael Jackson paid tribute to Jackie Wilson in 1984 at the Grammys. Jackie Wilson had just passed away and in his speech accepting one of his many many awards that night for thriller jackson thanked jackie wilson um for his influence and for his entertainment i also would like to say something very important that um some people are entertainers and some people are great entertainers some people 
our followers and some people make the path in our pioneers i like to say jackie wilson was a wonderful entertainer He's not with us anymore, but Jackie, where you are, I'd like to say I love you and thank you so much. We are rounding into the number three Black musical influence. Is it top three? No. Yeah, I guess he's in the top three. Black musical influences for Michael Jackson, and that is Samuel George Davis Jr., also known as Sammy Davis Jr., he was born December 8, 1925 in Harlem, New York, and he passed away May 16, 1990. Sammy Davis Jr. was an American singer, dancer, actor, vaudevillian, and comedian. His parents were vaudeville dancers. His father was Black and his mother was Cuban. And when his parents separated, his father took him on the road with him so that he would not lose custody of his son. And Sammy Davis Jr. at the tender age of four years old was indoctrinated and inducted into the Will Maston Trio. And he was performing vaudeville stages at the age of four. He was drafted into the army in the forties and that's where he kind of learned some of his self-deprecating humor. And in 1959, he became a member of the Rat Pack, pop quiz users. Who knows who all else was in the Rat Pack, along with Sammy Davis, without looking at the notes? Well, this is kind of easy to an extent. I, I don't know how many white men there were, but Frank Sinatra was definitely there. <laughs> Frank. Dean Man. Martin. Dean Martin. Like um, Dean Martin. What's, what's those, are, those are the it's, two I always remember seeing in There's two more. With. With, there's more white men. There's two, there's two I don't know anyone beyond those two. That's all I got, and that's all so I, I guess. Need. I, I only know no three: Dean yeah. Martin, Frank Sinatra, and Sammy and Davis, 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 Davis Jr. Jr. Okay, so the other two were Ooh, the other Joey, Joey Bishop, <laughs> <laughs> rats. <laughs> Joey Bishop was the other one, and Peter Lawford. So who the funk? Who are they? Okay, yeah. well. Um, well, they were in the Rat Pack. So I don't, I don't, what do you mean? Who were they? They were other the rats. They, they, were, rats. they were the other rats in the group. So, you know, the group made movies together. Um, Ocean's Eleven, the original. Robin Hood and the Seven. <laughs> Robin and the Seven Hoods. Mm. Sergeants Three. There are quite a few things. They, Sammy but they got also- the butt of that little setup. <laughs> I just want to say that out loud. Everything I've seen, he always was the damn butt of the setup yes because he's the only negro and is it because he was black and small like did we just think we could just deal with him anyway he was little and he and he converted to judaism he was a jew Jew yeah shout out tiffany haddish who's also jewish yeah so um but sammy davis jr he was known as someone who could do it all he could sing dance play instruments act do stand up all of that and he really influenced some of the biggest, just not just musicians, some of the biggest entertainers of all time. Michael is definitely one of them. Uh, what do you, other than the Rat Pack situation, y'all didn't know who was in the pack. So I he should have told them, to kiss my rat ass. I'm not doing this. <laughs> kiss my raggedy rat won't. I bet I won't do this skit. I remember. I do know that he married a white lady, and they lost. People lost it. Like he had married he a black lady, 
at one point but I think he, he married the black lady because yeah. he didn't want them to lose it over him being in love with the white lady so he married her as almost like a facade and then at she, some was point, he was like, she was his beard she was his beard yes yep 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 oh wow i never knew that yeah and i know this is black history month y'all and we are not saying some flattering things at them because you know don't let <laughs> That's, I mean, but it's the fact. It's a fact. It's a fact. Okay, I believe these, these the are the facts. Yeah, the facts. All I'm saying is, every time I see the Rat Pack, he gets he's the he's the rattiest rat. And I well, don't. He get was it. little too, which which didn't help. I don't think. Well, whatever. I mean, it's it's cool. He also was in a couple of movies. He was a good actor, which is underscored. Again, I can see why Michael was drawing all of his his influences from from these folks because they were doing things and had success in things he wanted to also be a part of user two we talked on one episode i don't remember which one if you do then let me know well we talked about michael's desire to get into film and how it was just a struggle and ultimately it ended with the whiz it's a very short um didn't it begin with the whiz too Yes, it's a it's a, a, a twofer. <laughs> if you ask him, the short films, right? But one. when you do it yourself, it's just like me saying nobody <laughs> cast him as what she. Chose. If I put on a, if I put on a a, a show, a, a, you know, a one woman clarinet show every night at my house, and I say, well, I've got a, a large catalog of, you know, one woman performances. <laughs> it's just not fair to say so because I I did it at my house. It was me. And it's a lot of people who audition remotely like that. So (laughs) honestly, that's legit. But okay, well, I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you have that. But I'm just advocating for Michael Jackson. I get it. I get get it. You know, and and I think that Michael wanted to do more. And I think he did look at Sammy Davis Jr. and he did look at um, some others who were able to be successful in in but Sammy came out of vaudeville where you had to do a little everything, like you tell some jokes, you play, Sammy was playing the drums, telling jokes, singing, dancing, acting. I mean, the dude had like 12 different talents. He could hold a whole show by himself and not have to do the same thing the whole time. Yeah, he's got a live album that is cold-blooded. It's really, just like my favorite Sammy Davis Jr. project. I've tried to go through his catalog and find some things. The way he's saying, it's just not quite for me. <laughs> it's not quite for me, but his live performances are always stellar. And um, Michael Remember him in the lot. Cosby show? Like, I, that's one of my favorite. Now, now that was his yeah. rebrand. And honestly, that's how we grew up with Sammy Davis Jr. He would pop in as Sammy Davis Jr. on a TV show that had a predominantly Uh black audience. And, you know, he was on All in the Family. Do you all remember that episode? Yo, so it wasn't even predominantly black. Yeah, no. You you could say All in the Family, we loved it just like we love good times. Yeah, no, All in the Family was, I mean, y'all call it what y'all want. People call it what they want to say is racist. It was funny as hell. It was and, racist and funny. Two and things can be true. He came out, it was one episode he was on, I remember, because he he um, he kissed Carol um, Archie Bunker. He kissed him uh, on the cheek, and he was just so like, oh, <laughs> I just got kissed. Oh, yeah, we got to give like, the context. Just... Archie Bunker was known to be this huge, bigoted racist. That was his whole character trope. 
everything he said was racist, sexist, just the worst guy ever. And somehow his family still loved him. And we all loved him. We all still loved him. Somehow he was an antagonist and a protagonist at the same time. And Sammy Mm -hmm. Davis Jr. kissing him was supposed to be like this really funny moment because it's two guys who are allegedly straight kissing each other. But also um, Sammy Davis Jr. is black. And we all know Archie Bunker is probably losing his fucking mind, but also shocked that Sammy Davis Jr. just kissed him. So it's, it's just one of those moments where um, in the context of that time, it was a joke that made way more sense than it does to probably some Gen Z or listening right now. <laughs> that's that's true. Yeah, and, and I think it just underscores the point of how expansive Sammy Davis's talent, talent was. It wasn't just concentrated in one thing. He literally was a showman. Mm-hmm. the definition of that word he literally was a showman and so you can see where michael would have grabbed a lot from sammy and really enjoyed how he was able to the longevity of his career is for real right like he just and he went through some hardships and stuff too like wasn't he in a really bad accident at one point and yeah, he lost his eye yeah I mean, he, he, he went he through something, yeah. yeah, and got up and kept going and still maintained a significance uh, that that continued on. He made some bad moves inside of civil rights, I think, at one point. He got mauled by the Black community and tried to go back and apologize. And um, I don't remember all the specifics, but, you know, he did apologize because he had hit the wrong note. He had said something. And it was like, we'll let you know, you know, we'll let you know. (laughs) He was like, I'm sorry. (laughs) Try me. So. (laughs) And let you know. (sighs) Sammy Davis Jr. Um, Yes, we're going to go see Sammy Sammy Davis Jr. Yes, Sammy Davis Jr. Think about Sammy Davis Jr. He was performing from the age of four. I think Michael really... I think Michael understood, or he felt like that Sammy Davis Jr. understood him in a way that a lot of other performers couldn't. I think that's why he gravitated towards, you know, like Elizabeth Taylor, because she was a child star. And so I think Michael really appreciated that part of Sammy Davis Jr. I'm sure they could have conversations around that, that he wasn't able to have with with other people. Sammy, Sammy Davis Jr. had been performing for 60 years in 1990 when he passed away. There was a 60th anniversary special similar to Michael Jackson's 30th anniversary special where all of these stars came together to honor him. And it let me just list some of these people on that, that showed up for Sammy. Debbie Allen, Anita Baker, Diane Carroll, Bill Cosby. Oh, I don't know, can we talk about Bill? Bill was there anyway. Clint Eastwood, Lola Falana, Ella Fitzgerald, Bob Hope, Gregory Hines, Whitney Houston, Jesse Jackson, Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones. I mean, he had everybody, Eddie Murphy. All of these people showed up 
and appeared on the same stage to honor Sammy Davis Jr. And Michael's part of the show was really touching. Sammy, I think Sammy cried like a baby. Michael performed You Were There for Sammy Davis Jr. at his 60th anniversary special. And it was Sammy's last appearance on, t- on broadcast television because he passed away a few weeks after the program was broadcast. I'm going to link the You Were There link uh, for all of our listeners so that you guys can see Michael's tribute to the late, great Sammy Davis Jr. The they built the walls to block your way. You beat them down. You won the day. Michael did not not have time to honor the people who who he knew he got a lot of his shit from. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something to be said because a lot of these artists now, mm, Mm -hmm. they only want to give these people the credit. They really just want to have you have a debate about who's better. Um, They only want to just step back and say, you know what? You're going to honor them. I'm coming. So shout out to uh, Beyonce and Destiny's Child for showing up to Michael Jack to honor Michael Jackson and shout out to uh, Usher for showing up to honor Michael Jackson cuz i mean Usher ain't nothing but a hawk and a uh, Michael Chris Jackson Brown. you know and we love mm-hmm. you Usher we hope we just so happy and proud of you for being a good man these days Chris Brown showing up to honor Michael Jackson uh, not necessarily in in his performances. He didn't have that opportunity, but in his work, it comes out like his honoring of Michael. Who else? I mean, all these people that show up to honor people who who really are the foundation of why they even exist. That's what's up. Because you don't see a whole lot of that anymore these days. People are very like, my brand, my, my, my. And then when it comes down to you acknowledging and sitting down to talk about what someone who came before you, all the stuff you ripping from them, you don't have the time. You don't have this space. But Michael made the time to honor James Brown and to honor Sammy Davis Jr. And to honor, um, in his speech, uh, he honored uh, Jackie Wilson when he passed away, right, at the Grammys. I really like how Michael showed up, you know, on the back of uh, Bubbles. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And, and no, he's the one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, 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 I'm, I'm trying to tell the folks what actually <laughs> happened and you're just throwing in ridiculous details that don't even make any sense bubbles was not there that night at the sammy davis jr <laughs> you like how she picked that up because i was just trying to end it she's like <laughs> Did she? that's not what happened i told mm-hmm. you what happened would you be shocked to find out Bubbles was in the back of the stadium? No, I wouldn't. Uh, he would not Honestly, no. He and, might and let's be honest. He really probably was. He might have really been there. He was yeah. probably in the, in the back, for sure. Mm-hmm. Bubbles, listen, come on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we got bananas. Oh, shout out to Bubbles. <laughs> but J- Bubbles ain't even used to bananas. He ain't no regular monkey. That, that dude probably want bubbles look i just put some wings in the tail. air fryer yeah, right he probably wants something yeah he crazy. need a meal he need a meal yeah <laughs> and on Who that bubbles next? notes we are moving on <laughs> to the number four black musical influence in michael jackson's career it is the wonderful beautiful amazingly talented 
Mavis Staples. Mavis Staples was born July 10th, 1939 in Chicago, Illinois, and she is still with us to this day. Hallelujah. She's an American rhythm and blues singer and also a gospel singer, actress, and civil rights activist. She has recorded and performed with her family's band, the Staple Singers, and she's also recorded and performed as a solo artist. She was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1999 and into the Blues Hall of Fame in 2017. She was 10 years old when she started her singing career with her family group, the Staple Singers. That included her sisters, her father, her other siblings. I mean, we got Cleotha, Yvonne, Purvis, and Pops, who was the daddy, obviously. And they were known as God's Greatest Hitmakers. The Staple Singers had top 40 hits eight times between 1971 and 1975, including the number one singles, I'll Take You There, Let's Do It Again, and Who Took the Mary Out of Christmas. Mavis Staples is the originator of the Shimon, which is what Michael's tribute to her has been. Shimon, Shimon. I think he did that mostly in the bad video, I would say, but he he's done it many, many times throughout his career. And fun fact, Mavis Staples was proposed to by Bob Dylan and she turned him down and she later said that he was the one that got away. She should have said yes, but she had the opportunity. Oh, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what that's about. (laughs) Whenever you say a man is the one that got away, he is a package. He's the one that got away. I tell you, he had a package. He was a total package when you knew him. Uh, the total, total. Package. <laughs> Lex, Luger, Lex Luger status. Um, so, Miss Mavis Stable, I think her most recognized song is I'll Take You There. Um, you know, and everybody knows that song. I don't care who you are, where you're from. Uh, you know that I know a place. Oh yeah, that's the one. That's the one. That song is so feel good. Anytime it comes on, you you you're gonna react. There's not one time that I'll take you there has come on that you have not reacted. And it's it's the it's the you know it's the track is the vocals is everything. The gospel is jumping out. Most poignantly, I guess Michael fans recognize that the Shimon comes from her. And I, where y'all think that come from? I have a theory. I feel like when you on stage and you tired, it take a lot less energy to say Shimon than come on. That feels like a lot. When you could just you tired already, you know. Shamon. Ain't nobody that lazy. Who ain't? <laughs> <laughs> Michael and James James between Michael the constant, good, the sound cutting the whole words. Not you, you right. not saying the words. Yeah, when you're tired on stage, yeah. I, I could think he just heard that. this song and put that in his pocket until it became relevant. I ain't talking about why he did it. I'm talking about why she did it. Oh. Mavis, that's just that. That um, feels gospel-y to me. Like, you know how gospel singers, when they get into it, the spirit picking up, they just whatever come out of their mouth, come out of their mouth. I feel like that's the gospel. gospel, 
this is a gospel group and yeah that the, a lot of folks in the Chicago church scene um, had come just like a, a lot of other folks from the great migration and black folks came from down south so they got roots in Memphis they got roots in Mississippi and Pops the influence of Pops um, is super valuable because he takes his gospel family group and gives them the flexibility to wade into pop music and so this song is an example of pop saying no this is soulful and this still has a gospel message and we gonna rock with it now some of my more uh, some of the my favorite discussions are Maeve is talking about their decisions to make songs like let's do it again and doing the um let's do it again <laughs> the let's do yes. it again soundtrack and in doing those soundtracks pops telling his adult children that it's okay to talk about sexuality and sensuality as long as you're doing it responsibly and that's what you get out of those lyrics let's do it in the morning Mm-hmm. It's so sweet. It's so sweet. And then she's talking about people who are in love. And so mm-hmm. um he gave them the, the flexibility to move between those two worlds in a way that people don't really talk about how how Pops allowed his children to do that. But he was also a very stern Christian man and wanted to make sure that Christian messaging was prominent in their music because that's how they originated before they started sliding into that pop scene. So you know, Michael is hearing this, um, seeing this, um, absolutely running into the Staples at some point on the road. It's inevitable. Um, and Mavis Staples has been a powerhouse for years. Again, you talk about Dylan, who was head over heels for her and proposed several times, got Pop's blessing and everything. But Mavis, for some reason, just didn't want to seal the deal but mm-hmm. you got you got that thing going on and then you've got um the the documentary that Questlove recently pulled out where Mavis is sharing the mic with Mahalia Jackson on stage mm-hmm. several songs they going back and forth that that is some uh that's some power right there and that's some generations of of sound uh colliding so I'm sure Michael heard this song and put that Shimon in his pocket. And, and I'm sure Miss Mavis got that. She's been saying Shimon probably for some time now. Shimon. Before it gets know, to this song. I didn't know that her father was good friends with Martin Luther King. Yeah, that she had a relationship with Aretha that was kind of based off of that. Both of their fathers were really close to uh, the Reverend Doctor. And he often called on those young ladies when he needed them whether it was for a fundraiser to help get folks out of jail or to prepare for some sit-in or movement that they were about to do in a particular city or town but Mavis and Aretha always made themselves available to Dr. King and I think that's uh where her and Dylan really kind of like first hit it off because he uh loved to to do Freedom Summer related activities too and, and used his folk singing to be innovative and talk about uh, breaking color lines so um, all of that stuff when you zoom out and think about the context context all kind of flows together uh, with with being a part of that civil rights movement and Chicago is a really important place Dr. King took his fight to Chicago that was the first northern city they went to after they realized they needed to expand beyond the south and he said they 
the crowds of angry white mobsters that met them in Chicago were tougher than the ones they had seen in Mississippi. So Mavis Staples is singing gospel music in this community and growing up as a child singer. And at this point, when we hear that Shimon come on out, she's been doing this for decades. She's a pro pro. Absolutely. And, and, and she actually first said the Shimon. So if you listen to um, that, the recording of I'll take you there, she doesn't say Shimon right? She never says it in the recording. She actually said it for the first time on stage when she was doing a live performance of the, of I'll Take You There because I guess the spirit got high and it touched her and she started saying Shema, Shema and people were like, oh, what's she talking about? You know, what's, what's a Shema? There has been all kinds of folklore, myths and legends about Shema but I think Questlove said it best it's just a cool way to say come on and it's absolutely michael's tribute to mavis staples and it's really cool that she's one of the kind of unsung heroes of soul r&b gospel that whole mixture of a genre and the fact that michael paid homage to her in such a really big way right i mean User one has a sweatshirt that says Shimon on it. You know what I mean? So it's 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 really, really cool the way that he honored her and paid uh, homage to her. And her voice, oh my God. She's yeah, powerhouse. she's got like a powerhouse voice. I think one of my favorite songs is from um that 70s album. What's the name of the album? Um the song is I've learned to do without you. But I can't remember what album it comes off of. User 2 probably knows. But anyway, her voice and uh, have a little, she covers like Have a Little Faith in Me, I think too. She covers that as well. She's just got a really good, like we're, we're Southern, you know, and there's some sounds we just love just soothes our Southern soul. It's she her. got that soothe your Southern soul sound. And if you're not Southern, you can, you can't, we invite you to feel that warmth through a voice like Mavis Staples. Excellent, excellent living legend. Protect uh, Mavis at all costs. Y'all don't go around her without your mask on. She you and don't she's go around her unvaccinated. You don't. She's back on the road. She's back on the road. Is and she? thank you, thank up. you for saying that, Nikki. Yes, she is back on the road. She is performing at outdoor festivals. Do not pull up on Mavis without Please your vaccine not. and mm-hmm. a mask. Mm-hmm. Because if a lot you- of y'all rolled up on Earth, Wind, and Fire with nothing, and I was like, y'all are so disrespectful. It's rude. It's rude to see a living legend who's been touring yeah. since they were a fucking mm-hmm. tater tot mm-hmm. and now have to deal with this brand new thing called a pandemic in their you know later 70s. years yeah she, she still got to make a living and we mm-hmm. want to hear her sing if she want to sing right. for us so right. put your goddamn mask on <laughs> wear your mask maybe staples yes a just a uh again we're not exaggerating to say a living legend and you can hear Michael picking up the the experience in her tone in her voice in her uh ad-libs all that stuff he's learning he really was a sponge and he picked up from everybody that had something to give someone who was excellent he if you notice Michael never said oh they're okay I kind of picked this up from them he went for the the a-list he was like they're excellent and that's who I'm watching. I'm not 
not I'm not watching you know people who are okay I'm really watching the best of the best because I want to be the best and Mavis Staples is in that in that group yes sir Miss Mavis we love you queen we invite you to come on the show come on the show we want to we want to ask you a couple of questions about uh Bob Dylan too I want to know listen that's her business I just I just answered her that I only no. got like one. I just got no. one question. No. Just one. She already told you all you need to know. She said no. And she should have said yes. So she felt like she should say yes. Well, but see, I want to know why, why did you say no, ma'am? That's none of your business. Why this was all your young kids. You y'all know, all old folks' business. I and you know they like, don't like that. You know I they just, don't like to tell you nothing. But what I'm that's saying is. In the doggone banana pudding. That's true. That's true. But anyway, Miss Mavis, come on on the show, honey. We we want to talk to you. Living legend. Living legend. All right. Well, moving on to the next powerhouse on our list of Michael Jackson's top Black musical influences. Listen, he says these guys by name, guys and gals by name. And we are talking about Sly and the Family Stone. In the summer of 1968, we were introduced to the music of a family group that was going to change our sounds and our lives. They didn't all have the same last name. They were black and white men and women, and they were called Sly and the Family Stone. We heard their songs all over the dial, even on the rock stations. They were a tremendous influence on all of us Jacksons, and we owe them a lot. Sly and the Family Stone was an American band from San Francisco. And they were active from 1966 to 1983. They were pivotal in the development of funk, soul, rock, and psychedelic music. The lead singer was the founder of the group. His name was Sylvester Stewart, and he was one of the Bay Area's top R&B DJs. He founded the group The Family Stone because his DJ name was Sly Stone, and that's how they became Sly and the Family Stone. The core lineup was unlike anything that people had seen at that time they had sly stone his brother singer slash guitarist freddie stone his sister rose stone a trumpeteer cynthia robertson a drummer greg and Eurico, and a saxophonist jerry martini and bassist larry graham they were the first major american rock group to have a racially integrated male and female lineup they have Many, many top 10 Billboard hits, uh, some of which are Dance to the Music. We all know that dance to, that was in um, uh, Shrek, right? At the end of Shrek, Uh, Dance to the Music, Everyday People, which is one of my favorite songs. And thank you. For letting me be myself. Is that what that says? Yeah. I don't think I copied that right. It looks like some mice elf again. (laughs) No, that's- Thank you for letting me be myself. (laughs) You know, Sly Stone was on his Sly Stone, so he spelled it. He's like, still on his Sly Stone. Um, he still is. No, that ain't no true in his mobile home. <laughs> so Everyday People was one of the most iconic songs. The lyrics uh, were about peace, love, understanding, real kind of 70s hippie type stuff. It was beautiful. And white musicians were members of the band at a time when integrated performances were virtually unknown and integration had only recently become law in the United States of America. 
Also, Larry Graham, their bassist, invented the slap tech, uh, the slapping technique of bass guitar playing, which became synonymous with funk music. Have y'all heard the slapping technique? Absolutely. Sly Stone and Larry Graham are pioneers. Uh, Boosie Collins is in that number two, but Boosie. um, Louis yeah, Johnson. Larry, Larry Graham was the one and many people know how he ended up being a spiritual advisor to Prince and Prince pretty much got everything he could out of Larry Graham and Larry Graham is also Drake's uncle. Yes, he is. There you go. Sly and the Family Stone were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1993. And in December of 2001, Sly and the Family Stone were awarded the R&B Foundation Pioneer Award. Rolling Stone Magazine ranked them 43rd on their list of 100 greatest bands of all time. And in 2019, the estate of Michael Jackson acquired ownership to the U.S. rights of Sly and the Family Stone's catalog. The estate owns the entirety of the band's catalog outside of the United States as well. The estate said when they purchased it that Sly and the Family Stone were a force for enlightenment and positive change, a message that Michael believed in. He recognized Sly Stone's genius and the power of his words and music, which is why he first acquired the catalog and why we are now acquiring it in Michael's footsteps. So Michael acquired the catalog at first, I wanna say it was in 1988, from Sly and the Family Stone. And that kind of goes into something that I think Marsha Ambrosius was talking about at one point about how Michael wanted to acquire some of these musicians' music and give them their catalogs back. Uh, but anyway, what do you guys think about Sly and the Family Stone? What's your favorite Sly and the Family Stone song? Ooh. Ooh. Mine is Everyday People. Yeah. Um, That's mine too, Everyday People. I can't choose because I like Sly's solo catalog too. If you want me to stay. Oh man. Sly got a lot of hits. Um, I credit Michael and Janet for putting me on Sly and Family Stone 100 percent Um, that period where Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were remixing history and uh, throwing the sample in there, Janet putting the Sly and Family Stone sample in Rhythm Nation. All of that and reading the, the the liner notes is what took me to Sly Stone. I was like, damn, they both like him. This this nigga must be cold-blooded. And he is. Please, if you haven't listened to Sly Stone, his solo catalog, as well as Sly and the Family Stone, you're missing out on some genius production. His brain is just still too big to comprehend. Shout out to Sly. I hope he's doing well in his mobile home <laughs> yeah the whole jackson family have been very are very vocal about the influence of this group on their sound and the development of their own identity i believe i'm so sure i've seen the brothers give interviews and they this is a name drop that they say like we heard them and it was like wow and it influenced their own sound coming out and being on CBS records coming from under Motown. So it was a big, the, the sound of Sly and the Family Stone is a big developmental block for the Jacksons as a group. And um, as user two said, also as Michael, as an individual and Janet. So a huge, huge, huge inspiration and influence on these, uh, you know, on these, uh, on, on this entire family and this musical family. You, you know, 
I totally agree with everything you guys just said. The, the, the cool thing about Sly and the Family Stone and you can see the influence on the Jackson 5 is if you look at their stuff from the 70s, their outfits, they're colorful on stage and they're, you know, um, kind of, they're very 70s-ish, big hair, big hats, bell bottoms, um, but they work so well as a unit. All, everybody in the group works so well as a unit and you can see that translate into the Jackson Five and how well they worked as a unit as well. So I just think that Sly and the Family Stone is an amazing group, clearly has influenced Michael's musical style, even as far back as the Jackson Five. And he 100%, he, they 100% deserve to be on this list. All right, moving on to our number six, black musical influence on Michael Jackson. We are going to recognize, they're called Double Dynamite. They're nicknamed the Sultans of Sweat. They've been nicknamed the Dynamic Duo. They are Sam and Dave. Sam Moore, born in 1935, and Dave Pratter, born in 1937, were an American soul R&B group duo who performed together until 1981. And they have influenced so many artists, just to name a few, Bruce Springsteen, Al Green, Tom Petty, Phil Collins, uh, Stephen Van Zandt, Elvis Costello, The Jam, Teddy Pendergrass, Michael Jackson. Um, and according to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they were the most successful soul duo and brought the sounds of black gospel church music into pop with their call and response records. One of their biggest hits or some of their biggest hits include Soul Man, I'm a Soul Man, y'all know that one, and Hold On, I'm Coming, You Don't Know Like I Know, I Thank You, and When Something Is Wrong With My Baby. Ladies, what do we think about Sam and Dave? I watched a Sam and Dave concert when we revisited Moonwalk, and I thought Michael's point about how Sam and Dave really worked i was like hmm, let me go take a peek and see what he meant by that listen even the slow songs these two had a two-step like shaking and moving the whole show in suits very tight fitting suits on top of that these splitting the stage in two has to be difficult but that co-lead singing thing they really had it down pat they knew how to give each other space, give the other the limelight and the other one step back. Um, they switch, both hold down center stage, like pretty much every possible thing you could do. And their foot, their footwork was not to be played with. So um, I think it, it makes a lot of sense that Michael watched them. And, and Sam and Dave were on the road a lot. So I would imagine as the young Jackson 5, they probably ran into them in a lot of stops along the way. One of the songs that I, I really, I guess I immediately recognized for them was Soul Man, um, which I think was used in the Blues Brothers. So it was, um, it was, it was, it was really good to watch them perform live, like Ashley said, and uh, to see how much energy they gave to the stage and to the crowd. So. so the last one on our list of Michael Jackson's musical influences is the one and only Little Stevie Wonder. Stephen Hardaway Morris, born 19, 
50 in Saginaw, Michigan, is known professionally as Stevie Wonder. He's an American singer, songwriter, musician, and record producer. Stevie really doesn't need much of an introduction because it's Stevie, but we're going to allow it right now. Um, So he's credited as the pioneer and and influenced by musicians across a range of genres. He is a virtual one-man band. If anybody's ever seen Stevie Wonder live or seen a performance that he has done live, that man does everything. He jumps from here to here to here to there. And for a blind man, that's impressive. He was a child prodigy. He was signed to Motown's uh, label at the age of 11 and given the professional name of Little Stevie Wonder. His 1963 single Fingertips was number one on Billboard when he was 13 years old, making him the youngest artist ever to top the charts. He has had a plethora of amazing albums since Fingertips. Uh, We can't name them all. One of my favorites, Songs in the Key of Life. Michael Jackson actually was in him, with him in the studio literally watching everything Stevie was doing because he wanted to know how, what it was to be an amazing producer, songwriter, and to do all of your own work. Michael Jackson has said from his lips that Stevie Wonder is the closest musician that he knows to perfection. Stevie Wonder, is, you know, God, I've learned so much from him by just sitting in on his sessions and talking to him and listening to I mean, he's phenomenal. I mean, I had an interview with George Harrison in England. We did it together. And um, he, we were speaking of Stevie, and he said, this exact words he said, and he said, Stevie Wonder makes him want to retire. That's exactly what he said. He said, he just can't even explain what Stevie does. He, um, he said, Paul feels the same way. He said, he's just incredible. I mean, I mean, I feel the same way about Stevie. You, I'll come in the door, and he'll say, Michael's here, Michael's here. And he'll come up with a song by saying that. I love Stevie. I learned so much from him. So ladies, Stevie Wonder, how do we see his influence on Michael Jackson's musical body of work? Well, they're cousins. First of all. um, First and foremost, they're family. Secondly, Stevie was already huge but then the jacksons end up on the motown label as well so you have that access to a child star like yourself and a you know just a musical a musical genius so it's it's easy to see how stevie wonder becomes this very huge influence to the place where michael does say he's the closest thing to perfection michael has all this access to a a young Stevie Wonder as a young Michael Jackson. And that's you, we probably don't even know the depth of how much that is influential to Michael and his sound and his career moving forward. Just that access to Stevie Wonder, which became almost like whenever you want it, you know what I mean? Michael had it. Jermaine had it like Stevie really went in for the Jacksons and being a part of helping them develop he was not greedy about his talent you know trying to he won't put no curtains up to do his dance moves so to speak uh so other people couldn't see him he was like here's here's what i have and here's what i want to share with with others who are talented and showing that they can they got what it takes too and he did that for michael stevie got all the good michael jackson stuff michael got Stevie Wonder's B-roll. I'm mostly talking about just good friends. 
Listen, I like that song. I don't have Sorry. no it's just I choked friends. on it. I choked it's, on it. It's so it's underrated. And y'all not gonna talk trash about just good friends. Y'all he gave Michael song. He gave Michael I um I can't help it. And that's that's all he needed to do. He did like, I can't help it. And then he came back. Yeah. If you just leave it at that, he good, obviously. Yeah. But then we got Get It, which is one of my favorites, Stevie or Michael, to be honest. And Stevie's got something like a million and 15 albums chronicling every possible human emotion that you could have ever felt, including those of plants. Get It, one of my faves. I'm happy to have that on 45. Matter of fact, put that in my coffin. I need that one. Stevie with the ponytail? Shit. Hell yeah. Get It was a bopper. And I feel like if you chopped and screwed it, it'd be fly too. But yeah, um, Buttercup with the Jackson 5 on background is one of my favorite songs in the world. He just really got the best out of them, for sure. Yeah, J5 was in the background of You Haven't Done Nothing too, which with the doo-doo-wop. And don't forget Michael on I Can't. Um, not I Can't, I'm sorry. Don't forget Michael on um, All I Do mm. on the Hotter Than July album. Yeah. Michael and Luther Vandross tag team imagine i don't know if they recorded them at the same time but imagine them two recording vocals man i know they had hella kfc in there that day (laughs) they say luther wouldn't record if you didn't have if you didn't have uh, the food out that's not right i I think that's fair man listen i I ain't performing no food Mm -mm. hell no like at least but But Stevie, Stevie was on the bad tour at one point. You know, he shows up. He sure was. And um, I, I just think that's cool that you know you look at it twenty years later, and there's still that bond and that respect um, that Michael's bringing him on stage. You know, on tour. So yeah, Stevie becomes is is just till the day Michael left this earth his top in his top three easy you know and you could see the pain how much stevie michael meant to stevie just the pain you could hear it in his voice and even in his music when he played at the memorial at the public memorial service so just i I, like i said i think there's a depth to that relationship we don't even know all of yet but it's clearly there mike's clearly a big influence on michael so michael jackson says about stevie wonder this now, Stevie Wonder, he's a musical prophet. He's another guy I have to credit. I wanted to experience it all. So Stevie Wonder used to literally let me sit like a fly on the wall. I got to see songs in the key of life get made. Some of the most golden things. And I think that really sums up how Michael felt about Stevie and hell, how we all feel about Stevie Wonder. He is a musical genius for sure. If he got the best out of Jermaine in let's get serious then he can do anything he can do all things when stevie dropped that voice them vocals on let's get serious let's get serious turned up all the way it turns serious Uh turn it on right now turn it up it it just turns up when stevie comes in because no offense to jermaine he's got a very soft jacksony soft jacksony voice stevie came in like a bulldozer Let's get serious. I said, okay, let's do because it. Then, Stevie then said let's he do it. Sing it the way I wrote it. Sing it do the way it like I wrote, I wrote it. it. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. He, he, uh, Stevie Stevie's kept definitely up that night. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
He was like, Jermaine, you are below the note. You are above the note. You are not on it. You are just not on it. And Jermaine talked about how he was working really hard to get it right. Jermaine said, hashtag Jermaine said, he had never been up that late for a recording session. And that's saying a lot. (laughs) I'm tired, boss. Yeah, Stevie (laughs) was like, get it, get it it together or leave it alone. Ha ha. So Stevie just, you know, but I, I just love how he stayed, they stayed connected even past Motown. In October 2020, Wonder announced that he had a new vanity label released via Republic Records. So what the fuss? Marking the first time his music was not released through Motown Records. Yeah. The announcement was paired with the release of two singles, Can't Put It in the Hands of Fate, a socially conscious funk track, and Where Is Our Love Song, whose proceeds will go towards the organization Feeding America. Y'all don't give your proceeds to charity no more. And that's the problem. <laughs> you need to get like Stevie. Mm-hmm. Stevie also is moving back to Africa. So Stevie has been moving back to Africa for years. Though. For a Let's long be time. Honest. He ain't going He's nowhere. Stevie, he here. Let me give y'all a little bit of a that 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 democratic inside knowledge. Stevie Wonder is my favorite Democrat, one hundred percent. And he will do a robocall for you out of nowhere. I will never forget when the Stevie Wonder Obama robocall dropped in North Carolina. That was a game changer. He's an amazing human being. I love him. Thank you, Stevie Wonder. Keep coming through. You keep me from really ending it all over here. And we love your Twitter, Stevie. I don't know who. I don't know how. But when you say you tired of this shit, didn't know when you said this, huh? He was like, "Yeah, Stevie." Stevie yeah. said, "Set up the tripod. I'm recording a 10 minute video. <laughs> I have something to say. <laughs> like, we appreciate you because you know Please what? We need more people to, to do tweets. that. Yeah, just follow and his YouTube and his YouTube. On. Yeah, he's he's like like you said. I've not, he's one celebrity. How many celebrities can you say this about? You've never heard anybody say anything bad about him. Look how long he's been in the game. I don't think I've ever heard." any gossip that was like trash and stevie wonder oh you want to hear it we don't have to keep it in the podcast you want to hear it yeah go ahead two hours later Okay, well then, um, I can't. Well, I never heard that, so that I, I now I'm aware. Uh, but, but you see oh, how deep you have to dig for Stevie T. You literally have even to go get to, to his yeah. ex wife. Yeah. It's not other artists yeah. who talk shit about him, right? No, right. As a as a professional, you don't hear nothing bad about him. Like, oh, he didn't show up to the recording session that we were supposed to have, or he sh- he didn't pay me, or he did. You know, what I, mean? I I haven't heard those things about Stevie Wonder. Yeah, Stevie is, as far as we know, salt of the earth, and God bless him. Stevie, God bless you. You're welcome to come on the show as well. I and love you, Mr. Things. Wonder. You're my favorite artist of all time. Look, Can what's I, your um, favorite Stevie song? What's your favorite Stevie song? Oh, that's too hard. I can't even pick one. It's all you of them. Sunshine, all of them. <laughs> so all your of favorite them. Stevie album? Ooh, I mean, everybody gonna say songs in the key of life. Oh, I like a music. I like Musicquarium because it's got like a compilation album. Which well, is- I'll give you my favorite song. I'm just gonna pick one. I'm gonna say Overjoyed right now in this moment. I will mm. say Overjoyed. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. User two. 
Ooh, that's uh, Stevie Wonder is my favorite artist of all time, above Michael Jackson because he was Michael's favorite. That's part of my logic. Get out, get out. <laughs> and those, dear listeners, are the top seven Michael Jackson black musical influences. And listen, if you feel like we missed somebody, let us know. Hit us up or actually hit user uh, one up on Twitter. Users, anything else you want to say before we depart? Stevie Wonder, Mavis Staples, you're more than welcome to come on the podcast. Mm. More than welcome. Anytime. Mm-hmm. Y'all be blessed. All right. Well, wear your mask, stay masked up, get your vaccines and your boosters, and we will see you on the next episode. We so tired of saying that. Damn. (laughs) And y'all, please listen. Or don't. They not going to do it if they don't want to do it. Everybody who care about themselves and others is already doing what they got to do. So shout out to everybody following the rules. And on that note, happy Black History Month, y'all. We'll see y'all next episode of the Black Jackson Estate Podcast. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right now, we're going to get it hot before we call him. And without rapping, he said, don't do it, but I got to do it. I got to say it anyway. We got another fantastic people for you. It's too much to be a person. You're just a people. Because he's so beautiful, and I love him for so many years. The surprise is here. A young man I watched grow and grow. Like I said, uh, the artist was so beautiful. You have to jump back sometime and kiss yourself and count the blessings and thank God each and every day. It just keep happening. I got a new inspiration, a new motivation because I just, just certain things happen to you, make you feel good. If you will, ladies and gentlemen, very quiet and very humble and very meek and just beautiful and full of talent and just running out of ears. He and his whole family. If you will, let's give another standing ovation for a young man sitting behind you that you have no idea who's an audience. Michael Jackson, Rose Michael Jackson.